Namaste and welcome to the Modern Mystic Podcast, where we are exploring the mystical in the mundane and the magic in the present moment, bringing you ancient tools and technologies into modern day living, yoga, mythic, and healing conversations with expert and visionary powerhouses sharing their stories and secrets with you to help you live an inspired life. My name is Kill Kenny, the host of the Modern Mystic Podcast. And today I am so excited and jazzed to be welcoming Alexandra Roxo. She is an artist, best-selling author of Fuck Like a Goddess, spiritual teacher, and transformational coach. She has been featured as a guest speaker on many renowned podcasts and at numerous festivals and events worldwide, and has been featured in multiple TV appearances, including two seasons of Netflix's hit show, Too Hot to Handle. Her work has also been featured in New York Times, Harper's Bazaar, Vogue, The Guardian, Nylon, and Playboy. Her latest book, Dare to Feel, comes out with Sounds True in January and explores the language of feeling and heart opening as a spiritual practice. Alexandra, welcome to the Modern Mystic Podcast. Oh, thank you so much for having me today. Well, there's so many reasons why I wanted to have you and I'm so excited for our audience. The first question I ask all my guests that's only the same question, so I can't wait to hear your answer, is what does it mean to you to be a modern mystic? Hmm. So when I consider the path of a mystic in general, uh, it's a, I like, I'm going to define it first by defining what it's not, which is the contrast mm-hmm. of like the path of the scholar, the student, the learner of the mind, you know, um, when I think of mystic, I think of embodied lived experience versus experience that comes through the intellect. So the mystic has a direct relationship with the numinous, with the unknown, with the unseen, and with the mystery. A mystic lives less in um, binary definitions and more in the land of paradox, where things are not black and are not white. Because a mystic is um, humbled by the mystery and knows that there is nothing to know and there is everything to know and that there's no defining the great mystery. So there is a part of the mystic that is in humble devotion to the mystery and lives in relationship to the mystery and bows at the feet of the mystery and is intrigued and and seduced by the mystery, but doesn't try to figure it all out. Like there's more of an artistic seduction, flirtation, um, embodied knowing versus an intellectual understanding. Um, The mystic also really lives through the heart. There's a lot of heart gnosis. So a lot of transmission that just comes through the heart's knowing um, versus the intellect or the mind. So I really think of a mystic, someone who embodies mystic really deeply is coming with 
a lot of uh, right-brained relationship to life, to the divine, to the great mystery of why we're here, what, what this whole reality is all about. And so if you put it in a modern context, it's like, what kind of human, what kind of modern person is available to live in paradox, is available to live within the mystery? The mystery can be so uncomfortable, especially for modern people. <laughs> like To let there be questions dangling in the air is very uncomfortable to modern people, especially Westerners. And so the mystic delights in letting the questions dangle and the mystic can play with, with attempting to answer them. But I think a modern mystic knows that there really is no answer, that the answer is in the humble bow. The answer is in the surrender. Um, and so a modern mystic is unafraid to live in uncertainty, is unafraid to live within a question, is unafraid to live within paradox. Um, and a modern mystic doesn't always look like what you would think a stereotype of a mystic would look like. Yes. I find that modern mystics often, you know, uh, can look like a, an old man seated outside a gas station in backwoods, Alabama, you know, who's just been sitting in that same chair for 20 years every afternoon. Um, versus somebody that you would find on Instagram who's like, I am a modern mystic. (laughs) (laughs) You know, mystics are funny like that. They just live that mystic path. And, um, they, I don't think they always have time to like sort of promote and market themselves. Like, I don't think of mystics in general as being marketing geniuses. I think of mystics as being, (laughs) you know, the ones that are talking to trees and, um, sort of pondering uh, into the night, maybe over a cup of tea or a bottle of wine. Um, And uh, yeah, they're not always practical people too. (laughs) They're not always, some of them can be, I do know, I do know some that are, but, but there's an element of them that lives between the worlds. And so that is, um, that is the element that's sort of un kind of, mm, like unplaceable in a way, like you can't put that part of them in a box. And I, I think that that that's the beauty when you come in contact with someone who has that mystical twinkle in their eye and you know that they're, they're in relationship with the mystery in a very particular type of way, whether it's through music or poetry or prayer or dancing. Um, but they're within that, like, that dance of romance with the beloved and some part of them will always live that way. So anyway, you, I could talk about it for a long time. <laughs> I, I love this. We could just not have any other questions, especially like you <laughs> talked about all the questions we can't really answer at the end of the day anyway. So let's just keep, I love, let's have this one episode. all just the answer. I love it so much because your answer was so sumptuous, truly. I mean, just there's so many layers to it that we can unpack and I think are so helpful you know, I love that. One of my favorite words in the world is numinous. So it's just the fact mm. that you use that, right? And the liminal spaces. And mm-hmm. I loved how you talked about as well the the paradox because I think that's so important because mm-hmm. to be a really integrated being on this path of self-knowing, evolution, self-realization, whatever 
language and semantics our listeners want to use. So much about, I think, in my humble experience, this journey has been about learning to become deeply integrated and the paradoxes of all of it. Because I'm curious about your Mm. um, background a little bit more, because I've heard a little bit and read a little bit. Um, I was introduced such a karmic blessing um, when I was five to the mystical practices. And it sounds like you as a young person had some background as well. So I'd love to hear a little bit about your journey, the -hmm. influence of that from being a young person, and then what it was like. Because so many people that I work with, with my coaching, with the amazing guests on this podcast, found spirituality and mystical practices a little bit later. I think it's more Mm -hmm. unusual to start pretty young. And Mm -hmm. so many people will say to me, oh my God, it's such a gift. And I know it's such a gift. And it's this huge boon. However, part of my journey has been to really start from a place of these amazing mystical concepts, having these you know, experiences of the liminal and the numinous, and then figuring out as I age how to fucking be human, <laughs> you know, which right. a lot of people, it's the reverse. So right. I'm curious. Did you grow up like in a spiritual community or ashram or something like that? Yeah, exactly. I grew yeah, up okay. going to yeah an ashram and spiritual communities and in in a very uh-huh. intense way and so wow. I love your work because you talk a lot about mm. this so mm. let's just start perhaps a little bit with your background yeah. and then the ways that you dance and romance the divine because I love that mm. um, you know in this yeah. moment in time so let's start back yeah. and then yeah. Um. Yeah, I always, I always kind of like envied people that grew up like in an ashram or in a spiritual community. I had a friend who grew up with with an SRF, um, Self-Realization Fellowship, Yogananda's foundation. And yeah. you know, it was just she was chanting and praying mantra and all of that from a very young age. And um, my partner grew up in a uh, – in a more of an intentional community commune versus a spiritual community um, from a young age. And, but he, so he had a particularly another different alternative view. I did not grow up with an alternative view at my core. I grew up in suburban um, Georgia, outside of Atlanta, um, you know, malls and uh, subdivisions and chlorinated pools and mac and cheese and, you know, uh, 90s television and um, MTV, all of that. So I grew up uh, like starkly within the, the 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 contrasting energy of suburban Americana, you know, like cheerleaders and the whole thing, like I went it, football and that kind of thing. So just to give that context, it was like. It's not like I grew up in Berkeley, you know? Yeah. <laughs> but my mother had a spiritual understanding and an alternative understanding um, from – I think that was just part of her soul's journey in, in a way. And part of it was because of her healing journey because she was attempting to heal childhood trauma. And so I think there was like a blending in her world of – Um, New Age spirituality, which like I remember seeing Louise Hay's book on her shelf that was like, you can heal your life. So I think 
for her spirituality in the sort of new age sense came through attempting to heal, which is really beautiful. Um, and you know, she has been on a healing journey her whole life because of her childhood, um, abuse that she has been a big, big, big struggle. Mm-hmm. Um, and within that kind of crossing of new age spirituality and healing, she met um, this incredible man who's now passed named Bobby Drennan, who was a total mystic living on a farm in Tennessee called Rainbow Crest Farm. Love that. And um, he discovered at a young age that he had this kind of spiritual psychic powers and he would find people's like, you know, animals that had gone lost and things and Anyway, by the time I met him, he had a really robust um, practice of seeing people one-on-one. And in what I would regard nowadays as like spiritual mentorship or um, teaching, though at the time we looked at it more as like psychic mediumship in a way, but he was really teaching us about spirituality and he was teaching it because he was in touch with the other side directly, you know, so he was really, his, his antennas were really, really, really open. So he would you know, I'd walk into his office for a session with him. We would drive for six hours to to go see him. Maybe I was 12 or 13 and he would say, okay, in my dream last night, you were like, Hey, I want to talk about this. And it was funny because a lot of the things that I came to him in his dream to tell him were like about boys. (laughs) So it's like, He's like, you told me it's time we want to, you want to talk about Mike. And I'm like, yeah, I want to talk about Mike, you know, but he would, he would humor me in that regard. And then he would go into deep spiritual teachings with me. Yeah. Um, and he would explain big spiritual concepts to me um, in a really digestible language. And, you know, we're, we're in nineties in Georgia and Tennessee. It's like, he's teaching me about the laws of karma And what I'm here on the planet to do, he's like, okay, you're going to go into these classrooms. And if you fail, you're going to have to do the classroom again. So the lesson is coming and, you know, your dad and you are having this lesson. And he was just really trying to teach me spiritual laws in a very non-denominational, non, um, you know, just a very simple way. He hadn't been indoctrinated into yoga or you know vedic teachings or anything like that he this was all through his gnosis through Mm -hmm. his psychic channel which is really cool because you know this was pre-internet pre-anything it's just like it it was very pure that you knew that his teachings his mystical knowledge was coming from from the other side was coming from truth um and nowadays, you can go to a bunch of psychic mediums, mystics, healers, da dee 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 and they could have just read something on the internet real quick and like just be passing off someone else's teachings to you. Yeah. Um, and it was very clear that he he had a very big portal and channel anyway. And so he was in my life until he passed when I was 30. Um, so he was in my life for 30 minus 12, um, 18 years. Um is that right, math? Yes, that is. Yes, okay, that's great. Um, and um, and that I would consider as like that was a big portal on the on the very other side, in the religious side. Like my father grew up, um, my father's Brazilian, and so I would spend time within uh, traveling between Brazil and the U.S. And my grandmother was a very mystical, devout Catholic, 
And she kind of indoctrinated me into um, prayer and mantra with Mother Mary and rituals and like these very mystical Catholic rituals that happened in Brazil. And a lot in Brazil is also influenced by the African uh, slaves that were taken and brought over and brought with them a lot of their culture and rituals and mysticism, which has now been integrated into Brazilian um, culture in general. Like Brazilian culture is so African, you know, because of um, their vast slave trade. Mm -hmm. Um, But nowadays it's like, you know, there's, there's a beauty to Brazilian culture. Unfortunately it came through tragedy, but there's a beauty to Brazilian culture because it has all these different mystical kind of mergings there. So I got to experience that when I went to, to Brazil as a child and, um, you know, that everyone were white on New Year's and there were all these different rituals that people did. And uh, that was very different than the religious experience I had in, in Georgia, which was very Presbyterian. And sometimes I would go to the Methodist church and the Baptist church. And again, at a young age, like when I was like 12 or 13, I was really seeking, seeking something. Um, and so I would go to all the different churches and kind of just try them. And I was so curious and some of them, you know, you like had to come to the front and get saved and people were speaking in tongues and laying on the ground. And I just remember it being so exciting and so, so weird. And also an opportunity for deep uh, emotional catharsis because all these, you know, 12, 13 year old girls, I don't know, I would recommend the movie. What was that documentary called? I think it wasn't called church camp, but it was like something camp. It was like One of these evangelical camps where all the kids are crying and just emoting and just like on their knees, like, please save me, God. And there's something so beautiful and theatrical and trance-like around this emotional expression of this Christian mystical tradition, right? And that that didn't exist in the Presbyterian church. They were very austere, very straight-laced. But in the Baptist or the evangelicals, just like speaking in tongues, laying on of hands. And I just remember being like, this is so cool. And my mom was a little worried. She was like, honey, I don't really, I'm not really into you going to those churches because she was just like, you know, it's very extreme over there. But I was kind of going out of curiosity and, um, (laughs) and my own desire to like be outside the constructs of social norms, because there you got to be outside the constructs of, you could lay on the ground and go, oh, right. You know, as an expression of your soul or your pain or whatever. So, you know, my early years, I would say my preteen years and teen years, there was a lot of, a lot of curiosity and, 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 and in general and my spirituality and my sexuality. And, um, and I felt like such an outsider because no one else that I knew was having those kind of deep desire for experimentation in both of those domains. Most people really thought, I think, thought I was pretty weird um for wanting to like kiss boys and kiss girls and wanting to like go speak in tongues on the ground and like you know whatever um so excuse me but just it's really fascinating your story because you can cut me off anytime (laughs) it sounds like you know from that young age of you know early adolescence you were exploring these domains simultaneously of your sexuality and of your spirituality. And so 
how yeah. did all of that inform your work, your your great book, and really your sacred sexuality articulation? And could you talk about that, like your vision of sacred sexuality from that inception period of your life? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I think by the time I was a bit more mature and, and moved to New York and I discovered yoga and I discovered Eastern traditions, um, I felt like I found something that felt a little bit more true for me. And so when I when I discovered yoga and meditation when I was 18, when I moved to New York, I read Be Here Now. And I one of my friends, as I mentioned, was part of the SRF community. So she was a meditator and she meditated every morning and every night. And so I would, you know, a lot of the time, not all the time, but I would meditate with her. And I found my first amazing yoga class um, that was like a real yoga class. You know, it was... <laughs> it was on the Lower East Side and it was in this community center and, and it was, you know, it was a real yoga class for 90 minutes. And the time I discovered Kirtan and Krishna Das, I was 18 and, you know, this is 20 years ago and chanting and um, going to Jiva Mukti Yoga Center and Union Square in New York and listening to Bhagavan Das. And so something in me crystallized in a different way when I, um, when I, when I met those, that different part of the spiritual canon on planet earth, I would say. Um, and that, that was problematic for my sexuality though, because when I, um, discovered yoga in that way through those dudes who were amazing, um, it was, it didn't feel super integrated for women or sexuality. It didn't feel very, um, conducive to the feminine body and feminine experience. It felt more um, like an ascetic and the more ascetic path, like via the yoga sutras, um, like a sattvic diet, all of these kind of things. And at the time I was like, okay, yeah, this is now, this is gonna, what I'm going to do. And I'm going to yeah, I never, I never was like, I'm going to be celibate for years, but I was like, oh, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to wear white and I'm going to, you know, be all namaste. And so I really went through a phase of doing that. And then I was like, oh, this isn't it either. Now I'm having to like put my, my sexuality on the side or my wildness on the side or my, you know, my Shakti. Like it didn't feel, it wasn't like a Shakti based kind of feminine goddess kind of a transmission. Even though Ram does his book, Be Here Now, he's so about like honoring the goddess. It's just so much in there. But in terms of the embodied practice, I'm like, these are skinny white dudes or skinny Indian dudes, but they're, and the, you know, they're, they're not shaking their hips and dancing, you know, it's just like very different thing. But eventually with that, I found like, um, earth-based spiritual traditions and that really freed me in the body in a different way. So there was a lot of, um, study around, earth-based spiritual traditions, paganism, um, ritual, and all of that. And kind of how do I weave that together with a yogic practice? Um, so at the time, my, my sexuality was really confused, not confused about like gender or any of that kind of thing, but confused about um, how, it, how I fit into my life, you know, like 
how how I could be this kind of devotional yogi and also be like a wild woman of the forest. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and also, you know, so it took me a long time is what I'm saying to, to really find an integration. And I don't know if it's a hundred percent done, you know, I think um, it's like integrating the lower and, and upper chakras. It's like, how do you, I mean, the tantric path is the, is the, to me, the path of integration, and I don't mean neo-tantric, I mean more classical tantric, um, where as a householder, someone who's not living in an ashram, uh, you can integrate your daily chores and and your uh, marriage or relationship and your sexual life and your devotional life and whatever, but it's not just about sexual life. It's about all of the life. I think that's a common misconception as people, when they consider like a tantric understanding, it's like they think of it as sexual and it's like, no, it's actually not sexual, but it's about all of it. And in the other path, it's not about all of it. It's not about your family life or your work life or your money life. It's about your God life. And so the tantric path includes your your money life, your home life, your house cleaning, your family life, your sex life is a part of that. Um, so I think that you know that's again my partner and I we still we still f- have to figure it out. Like we're still like now we're going to become parents and like we're he's used to like meditating a lot of, a lot of time and having quiet a lot of time and he's he's <laughs> been a much more of a kind of ascetic monk like life and he's 50 so it's like a lot of his life i mean not all the time but like his practice is more monk like yeah now we're going to have a child now so <laughs> um that's so when it, that, answer- that's when it gets put to the test right <laughs> to answer your question i think that the sort of, for me, the ongoing life question around how this, the spirituality and the sexuality kind of still come together is it's, um, it's still a learning, um, on how to essentially work with a big energy, like sexual energy in a really sacred way. Um, and to balance that out in your world and, with intention and devotion and prayer and clarity and, you know, it's a practice like any other practice. It's like some days you show up to a practice and you sort of are just like, fuck, I want to do the lazy version. I just want to get off, you know, or I just want to get a good stretch in. Mm-hmm. And um, you bring your unconsciousness to it and you bring your laziness to it. And I think that's fine. You know, sometimes spiritual people can have, I'm sure, like I'm not judging at all, can have that, can go into super unconscious sexual realms, you know. And if we're really, really practicing, we're trying not to do that. We're trying to stay conscious in our sexual practices. You know, we're trying to not just go in there to get off. We're trying to stay present with our breath. And it's like any other practice. It's It can be beautiful and, and ecstatic. And it can also be um, more time consuming. <laughs> and it requires more of you. Than just yeah. getting a quick bang in, you yeah. know. It's like, and there's nothing wrong with that. If just getting a quick bang in, but but if you're really attempting, I think to bring bring almost to like bring the higher chakras down, it requires a certain level of skill, you know. And I can't say that I'm a master at that. Um, that you know, I can practice. And then there's times where my conditioning of growing up in the society is just like. 
I just want to be sexy, you know, or whatever. <laughs> yeah. So it's just, it's an ongoing learning. My book is more about the healing aspect, which is not what I'm talking about right now. And that's more, it's a little less in the spiritual domain. That's more in like, I mean, it, the book is in the spiritual domain, but also in the healing space of, well, how do we, in order to even show up to a great practice with a partner or a lover, Mm-hmm. What needs to be looked at first? What needs to be healed? Of course, some of that healing will happen in the moments of practice with a partner or a lover, but also what needs to be looked at in our own personal relationships to ourselves and to the divine. And so, um, you know, this so is a can whole you other- offer a couple because yeah. I want to stop you there, please, just because yeah. it's so beautiful and so profound what you're saying. So, in the way of healing, first, what are say three, whatever, three, five-ish crystallized, most powerful in your experience in the way of healing, either practices or darshanas, you know, like viewpoints or things to think about for the listeners Mm -hmm. when they're working on healing themselves from the way of their own sexuality, their relationship with their sexuality and desire to integrate it into their own spirituality and create that tantra, which literally means to loom together, um, you know, all parts, like you said, of one's life and oneself. Um, so, yeah. So could you please offer a few of you think most potent ideas and or practices to do so? Yeah. I mean, the first, which is outside of the spiritual domain and in, is in the more therapeutic, is to go to therapy and to process intellectually and mentally, to let the mental body really have its time. I think that's where culturally we are right now. We're having a lot of space for the cult- the collective mental bodies of people to start processing through uh, the dysfunctional patterns of family and society which can feel a little like over-psychologizing everything. <laughs> and it can feel sort of spiritually dry there in a way. But it's kind of some of the – it's it kind of needs to happen and we have to come into an awareness. So it's kind of the awareness practice side of things. It's more yeah. of like let's come into awareness. Hey, I was abused. Hey, I went through this. Hey, I was silenced, whatever, whatever, moving out of being a victim, moving into, okay, I'm aware of this. Now what do I do with the imprints in my nervous system, body, um, belief systems, et cetera. So that is a big part of it. And I say this in my book, my first book, I'm like, first, you really do have to come into awareness, you know? And the sexuality piece, for most everyone, there is an awareness that needs to happen around our conditioning um, if we did ever have any experiences that are still sort of seated within us in an uncomfortable way, um, I haven't met anybody who hasn't needed to do a little bit of work there, you know, because I, I live- love that. Because yeah. asking the questions back to the initial answer, right? Ask the questions. So, is there a question? Because you're so eloquent and poignant and potent with your words and your book, is there a question that you think? is the most helpful question in the arena that you're speaking. Mm. One can ask themselves if they're listening. Yeah. Definitely what beliefs do I have around myself, my body, and my sexuality that aren't mine, that didn't come from me, that came from society, my parents, other influences, 
and just writing down what are the beliefs that I hold in general and getting really honest around your sexuality. You know, what are the beliefs that I hold? There may be some very unconscious ones that, that are not present yet in your awareness. You can examine what those are by just thinking about your last sexual experience. <laughs> and you can go, hmm, if I look back at the last time that I had sex, what beliefs or what behaviors came forward and what what would those behaviors indicate was a belief I was living, yes. right? Like, oh, that I needed to be hot or sexy or thin or something. I felt that because when I took my clothes off, I sort of sucked in my belly. So you sort of connecting the dots between yeah. your behaviors, right? And then how those behaviors lead back to a belief system or conditioning that you've been playing out for a very long time. So it's kind of a basic question, but it is an unearthing there. No, that's so good. That's so good to give people because I love giving people really concrete ways to think about things and takeaways from this podcast so that they can really integrate into life. And that's really profound to unpack that for sure. Yeah. And it can take years. So don't try to get done one afternoon. (laughs) (laughs) And make it a practice, you know, like, I, lo- I love what you're mm-hmm. saying and, and do that committed work, like ask yourself the question, perhaps do the. It's called in the yoga tradition, the dharna, you pose the question, you throw it out, like you, you would offer, you know, a rock to a, a pond and then do the, maybe writing, automatic writing or whatever your practice is, contemplation. And then like you're saying, walk away and then mm-hmm. maybe for a week, the next day, do it again. And just right. kind of a consistent practice over a period of time can yeah. yield great fruit. Really profound. Yeah. Really profound. Absolutely. And yeah. with you, I've heard you speak and I love how you articulated being a woman and identifying as such this lifetime. And the sometimes in the society's economy in this day and age of often we've gone so much from at least this is my opinion you know the 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 kind of i don't know i mean my mother was like a feminist is a feminist you know in the 1970s and and in this this country of america fighting for equal rights and feminism and this fieriness and now more recently there's a lot of i feel like popularity with the soft feminine and oh like almost like a reactionary to that mm-hmm. and finding that balance for those of us who identify as female that balance of of fieriness and softness and and that journey and you've spoken about that so i'd love for the listeners to, mm-hmm. to think about that they don't identify as female you know really important contemplation for the the females around them. And so, yeah, would you talk a little bit about that journey for you? Yeah. I mean, I think it, and it can apply to any gender because basically, I mean, we're we're going to talk about it a little from the feminine experience, but any gender expression has gone through these phases of archetypal embodiment that sometimes get really sort of played out and then need to be integrated and something else needs to be explored archetypally in the collective. Um, and so, I mean, men have their own very distinct journey around this as well as around completely kind of going through these different tones or elements or almost like notes on a keyboard that you would play 
that you're like, wow, culture is really playing this one note when it comes to masculinity or femininity or right. Or like then the response to that one note is this other note. And it's kind of like, it's not really a solution because the, the, if you look to the goddess and the goddesses, let's say across the different pantheons of different cultures across the world, um, you would see that there are goddesses that reflect all these different notes and tones of femininity, just like gods that reflect different notes and tones of masculinity, just like elements that reflect different aspects of um, elemental uh, expression or elemental and archetypal expression. So it's just, I always like to remind people that it's, it's not about landing anywhere. It's not landing in the soft. It's not landing in the fierce. It's not landing in the fiery or landing in the lover. It's not, that's again, just another ego trap of too over identification (laughs) with something. It's more like, can you be a rainbow? You know, can you be the keyboard, right? Do you have access to different parts of you? Right. So I think what you're saying though, is that there was this, of course, and we look back on culture, it's like there was this this like fiery feminist, like badass. And then there's like the girl boss. There's all these different kind of expressions of, um, of that are in opposition to what we possibly experienced through our grandmothers and their, our moms were rebelling against that 1950s housewife kind of thing. And they were becoming empowered women feminists and being able to work and be a mom and all this stuff. Right. And then we're like, I mean, I don't know. I can't speak for everybody who's like, Oh my gosh, well, I don't want to have to be super self-sufficient and I don't want to have to do it all. Actually, I prefer not to, you know, but mom fought so that I could do it all, which is great. And I'm happy that I can have a, a job and run a company or whatever, and also be a lover. It's quite um, nuanced though. I work with a lot of clients, a lot of women who have have really developed their sense of being strong, badass, running businesses, making lots of money. They still usually look great while they're doing it. So they're also taking time to make sure that they look good and feel good. But there's a hardening that has happened in their heart and then their yoni usually as well, though that's not usually something people identify up front. They usually just feel like, wow, I feel a little dried up. I feel a little hardened, you know, and I feel a little far from my eros or my um, sense of being a lover. And so I think that's something that I see a lot in women. It's like a tightening in the jaw, like an over... Um, an over badassness that has now created a persona that is invulnerable. And so I think some women are going, wow, but I, so now I want to soften that right now. I want to like, Ooh, that's actually repul it's repulsion, repelling um, a potential lover because I'm like coming with this hardened energy. I might look really hot on the surface. I might have all the trappings of sexiness, but energetically I'm hardened. Totally. I have a lot and, of women clients who ha- are in that place as well. Yeah. And, and like you sense. said so beautifully, like it's so much a part about knowing oneself, identifying in that key concept of awareness, becoming yeah. aware of what's happening within oneself. So then you can apply the you know, counter or more balancing aspects of self. And that's going to change. Like you said, be the rainbow, you know, at any given moment, there's, you know, you might have a week where you're just 
pushing, 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 and your, your adrenals are starting to get shot. And so then right. in that moment, how can I apply more of that softness, more of that yeah. breath work, more of that feeling, you know, my auric field even, you know, and, and doing yeah. that meditation, you know, whatever it is in the way of expansion and softness. And then other weeks we feel differently. And so yeah. it's that skillful application that you're speaking of, which is so important and so much about this journey of self-knowing and also not airbrushing, you know, that spirituality that we're yeah. talking about, you know, that real integration, like what am I really feeling, experiencing, mm -hmm. living, and then how can I work with that to come into more alignment so I can be the highest, most potent expression of my soul and self in this lifetime and in this work that I'm doing in the world? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. What about a child? I loved um, your your work in terms of attracting partners or sacred lovers because that's something a lot of my clients talk about and have a desire to. So mm -hmm. what are some tips and practices and thoughts about that for people who deeply desire sacred partnership, sacred sexuality, et cetera? Yeah. Could you speak to that? Um, my neighbors are having coffee outside. I hope you can't hear them. Um, it's really cute of them. I can't get mad at them for that. No. <laughs> um, Integrating life. Of course. <laughs> yeah. So I had a great journey with this. And, and part of it was first me claiming that I wanted to be in a spiritual partnership deeply. Like I had claimed it on the surface, but I hadn't really claimed it inside and that was a process. And, and when I did really claim that I wanted to be within a spiritual partnership, which meant I wanted to be with a man who's a spiritual practitioner, not somebody that had gone to like one of a Vipassana retreat or, you know, done a few <laughs> therapy sessions or read, read with a superior man, but like a man who was a practitioner, <laughs> that was a scary thing to claim. And then it was even scarier when I met him and it was, it was quite terrifying. <laughs> so I was like, oh shit, he's been on his path for 30 years and he's like a deep practitioner. Um, and he's going to call me into some depth and out of my bullshit. So, but that took, it took, it took a while to get there. And I did a lot of deep work um, first examining, and I would give this recommendation to everybody is like to really know your shadows, like to really get to know your shadows. And if that word is confusing to you, it's like, you can, you can use a more therapeutic term though. That term really, I think is, is been brought into the collective by the work of Carl Jung, who was a therapist, but in a very spiritual way in depth psychology, um, and now that word has been kind of used in, 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 you know, appropriated in many different ways that I think are probably different than his original, um, definition, but getting to know your shadows, your patterns, your unconscious tendencies and your deepest wounds, because your wounds are going to dictate kind of where you go and you're going to keep attracting the same type of people you know, Carl Jung quote, speaking of that, is like, you know, something like you can know you're unconscious by, or it's like, what's that quote? It's like a little, fate is your unconscious. Like fate, quote, quote, air quotes, fate is actually mm -hmm. your unconscious leading the show. I can't remember uh, the quote verbatim. So good. So you might, you think it's fate. Oh my God. And it's like, no, that's your unconscious tendency <laughs> to go towards unavailable men. Cute. Not fate. Your unconscious is leading the show. 
So true. So it's like just seeing the patterns that arise in your love life, right? Like what are the patterns that keep, if you're single, like what are the patterns, if you're single and you want to have a partner, what are the patterns that keep arising? What are the things that you're noticing? What is, what's the thing that's happening? That is the key to who you are on the inside. And that is a painful reckoning. Yes. And, People and, and, like to blame anybody else for that. Well, that's exactly it. Exactly. You just nailed it. And I was going to say something along those lines that it's about taking responsibility for if you are always attracting the same kind of person or if you can, quote unquote, never find a person or right. fill in the blank. It's whatever story you tell yourself. Exactly. How do I actually take responsibility for that story, realizing that I am actually the author of my life, and half the time it's a ghost author called my unconscious? <laughs> I love that. Like you you should use that quote. The ghost author is my unconscious. So cute. Get out of here. Um, literal like, ghost author. You can't see it. <laughs> literal. Exactly. Yeah. Thank you for yeah. noticing that. So yeah, and so I, that's just brilliant what you said, that it's part of reckoning that like I have to actually take responsibility completely, you know, like completely because I know when I'm working with people and, you know, I'm sure like you working one-on-one -on -one with people, so much of the work is from my own experience, you know, mm -hmm. and what's worked for me. And that that's what's helpful for others. The truth of that, the, the energetics right. of that. Right, right, and right. And so much of it is like, okay, not cleaning up my side of the street. You know, you hear that a lot and I'm a fan of that, you know, to an extent. Yeah. But it's like doing more than that, cleaning up the whole street. Like clean up the whole freaking street. You clean up the whole street and – chances are you have actually only cleaned up half or three quarters, like whatever you think you've done, you know, but clean all of it up. And, yeah. you know, even the people that have perhaps, you know, done things or, or acted in ways that were out of alignment, they're still teachers and teachings and they're still there to act as mirrors to show us where we need to clean up the street. So totally, totally. So right? I definitely think that's kind of, excuse me, the first step is really knowing your patterns, knowing the tendencies. And if you have if you have an if you have this belief that oh but no, not all my relationships are really different. Now they may look different on the surface, but like if you sit down and really contemplate, you will find the thread. You'll find the mm -hmm. thread. Like you said, whether it's oh there's no one out there for me, all of those things are the stories. I do believe there's such a thing as karmic timing and so I you know, I, I see amazing women who I work with or who are my friends who are so open, so heart soft, available, who haven't met their partner um, and who want to. And I also do believe that there is something like karmic timing. Um, and who am I to know if, it, if there's not also a thread that's like kind of still in the air blocking them, you know, in some way. Yeah. Um, well, that's and, the paradox, excuse me, but like that's yeah. what you're saying I love because it's what you said initially. That's sometimes it's both. Sometimes exactly. it's, you know, obviously we can't know the answer like you said too, right? No. But it's often I think it could be also a both. Yeah. And I think it yeah. can be for sure in my experience accelerated the timing if we're doing practices of psychological work like you're speaking to and then spiritual work like you know yeah. making your bedroom beautiful and assessing mm -hmm. you know the, the habitual right energetics of what's happening 
mm-hmm. things that pertain to your love life. What do you yeah. think about all that? I mean, I love all of it. I think mostly it's in your body, in your heart. And so, you know, for me doing practice around feminine embodiment, do I know how to open? I did a lot of practice and workshops where I was standing in front of men. I talked about this a little bit in my first book and I was getting really direct reflections on how my energy was reading, like without words, no talking, just feeling and breathing in front of a man and him being like, wow, when I first walked over to stand in front of you, you felt like this open fairy, like beauty. And then within four seconds, I just felt like an ice queen. Like you just shut down. And this is with no, no words exchange. And feeling like, wow, how is my energy really reading? Like, how is how available is my heart to a room? How how is my body moving through a space? How is my breath moving through a space? You know, all of these become either invitations or closures, like openings or closures to to anything in life, to money, to success, to whatever. So I work, a, I work a lot on that level with people and with women as just like, is your heart energetically open? Is your body energetically open? Is there so much hardness and closure in you that they, there can be an incredible man standing in front of you, but he can't feel you? And, and, that, and, and Or you, know, you could be wanting so much to communicate your radiance, but there's no, you don't know how right? You've locked it up or you've put a shield on for so many years because of your traumas and da, 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 da. So a lot of work that I did on myself was removing some of those masks and layers, which is a lot of tenderizing and opening. And I did a lot of work in workshops with men. And that was so helpful. Like the three men who are like my friends still now to this day, who we practice together as practice partners, not as lovers ever. Um, they were, they really helped me to just energetically know what it feels like to open fully and to express fully. And um, again, not with words, not intellectually, but energetically. That is so, so poignant. And those yeah. practices, which are often, you know, my orientation is Tantra as well. And, you know, they can seem so simple. Yeah. But again, offering our listeners really concrete things, like you're talking about, like standing in front of someone and as your journey was so um, gorgeously healed and and how it unfolded, they can be people that we're not necessarily going to be lovers with or in a romantic relationship. But when it comes to romantic relationship, as you're eloquently saying, doing practices with others, it could be standing, you know, in the eye gazing. It could be, you know, being seated, and having your backs to each other. You know, there's so right. many sweet practices that it's seemingly so simple, yeah. but that can really open up, like you're saying, the energetics and the feeling, mm-hmm. the feeling of being receptive, softer, mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, spreading those antennas out more and really connecting you to the ground of your being. Because I think when yeah. people are established in the ground of their being, you know, that, and obviously it's really the field of love, you know, yeah. that love yeah. with a capital L, that, that that's when they can receive the yeah. the romance, the lovers, the connection really yeah. that is and, available yeah. to them. 
And first doing it solo and having that really dialed in solo, I think is important mm. before you sort of bring it into partner practice and you sign up for that workshop or whatever. And you know, please make sure that you really know that you're signing up for a workshop with a really trustable facilitator. If you are going to do any kind of partner work, cause some of them, some of it out there right now is, is really horrific, but, um, first do it on your own, learn how to open on your own. You know, that is so important. And I think a lot of people skip over that part of things and then they get to a workshop and they're like, I want the man to open me or I want the, this. And it's like, no, you need to know, you need to know how to open on your own. You need to know how to open your heart and your radiance and to express and, um, to be deeply within your body and within the field of love and the ground of being, you know, if you haven't connected to that, you are love, uh, on your own. And you go to a workshop to try to figure out how to connect to that via someone else. You're back in that core wound or in that shadow pattern. Yeah. Right? It's like, so I definitely, you know, I think doing that work, and I will say that my own journey of like the healing part was a fucking like, whew, it was a long road and there was a lot of deep work. And I, I did that through therapy and I did that through deep plant medicine ceremony with trusted practitioners. And like, I went, I had to do a lot of work around healing with my dad. And, you know, there was so much there for me that I couldn't skip over yeah. in order to meet love. Yeah. And there was harrowing at times. Um, not everybody's journey is like that. Not everybody has that kind of karma with men or with, with dad or with what, you know, the masculine, so to speak. But mm -hmm. again, it's part of what you can't skip over. Whatever healing piece has to be acknowledged. And then you have to have your own solo practice, a way that you get in touch with your own heart first. And then Always. you can kind of show up. Um to another and go, Hey, like, I want to open my heart to you. And then you kind of go through the portals of discernment and, um, knowing that you can trust yourself if it's a yes or a no, and all of this kind of relearning. Beautiful. Really, really yeah. helpful. So yeah. what are, what are ways that you like to ritualize or offer ritual into your life in this moment in time. I know before we got on the official, you know, recorded aspect of this podcast, we spoke briefly about, you know, your new book coming up and maybe it connects my, the answer to my question to that. And we, you know, spoke about having different phases as creators and yeah. honoring those phases. But I'm curious in this moment of your life, let's start there. What are mm -hmm. ways that you're really integrating rituals. What are they? If you don't mind sharing one or two, and then maybe speak about, you know, your book coming up and how, you, you know, you feel about your past book and now coming into this new phase as well. Yeah. A lot of the rituals now, I was thinking about this actually, I don't know, yesterday or something, my partner and I do a lot of ritual together. And from the beginning of our relationship, like one of our first dates, I was laughing the other day. I was like, babe, you remember in that first date where we like, trekked up to like this secret spot in the in the in the woods in this aspen grove we took off all our clothes and we sat in front of each other in little yogi positions and we drank cacao and we had a heart to heart about like what we wanted in relationship and i was like all right i gotta tell before i fall in love with this guy i gotta be real honest about <laughs> what i want i'm like i want to have a family in the next two years um 
but you know, our relationship started with ritual. It started on seated on meditation cushions and drinking tea. He um, is a part of a, a tea tradition that's very meditative. It's very much um, like seated meditation for 45 minutes, an hour with tea, very ritualistic. So he brought that into my life in a beautiful way. And now we've been together for three years and tea is a, like this morning we sat in tea ritual at 7am in silence. And, um, and then we pulled cards and we don't do that very often, but sometimes we do help. He'll say, get us some cards, you know? And, um, and also cacao is, is a ritual that he brought into my life too. Um, and so on the full moon this weekend, we did a ritual and we drank cacao and we did a ritual from one of his teachers around blessing our baby and, so we, we're kind of freaks in the way that like we've been deep divers on the path for a while. So it's just who we are. I, and I say yeah. this to like my students and clients, I'm like, don't compare yourself to us because we've been, we've been like, you know, in this practice of, of living from a spiritual lens and perspective for 20, 30 years. And so, um, not everybody's going to want to do that, you know? So it's, it's what too- are things that you tell your clients? Because Totally. Yeah. Like you, yeah. it's to do. That's yeah, more like practical. simple things that yeah. are practical. So, because some people here, I mean, they've people listening to my podcast, they've heard, you know, me talk about rituals and so many different things. But, you know, at the same time, like you said, and like for myself, you know, like, I, you know, it's like the level of ritual I do is like a lot of people have to quit their job. I do so much, you know, like the totally planning. Good. But what are simple ways for people simple who are like, things. I don't have time, but what does yeah. that mean? Simple things. Light a candle first thing when you wake up in the morning. The house is dark. Hopefully you're waking up when it's dark a little bit early. (laughs) Um, Light a candle. Put on some soft music or chanting. You can light a stick of incense every morning. Basically greeting the day in a way that's sacred and honoring not getting on your phone first thing in the morning, first doing those rituals, right? Like you have that moment, light a candle, invite warmth into the home, invite a beautiful scent into the home, invite soft Mm. music into the home. You can do the same things in the evening. I'm really big about these things and I've been doing them for a long time. You know, you can have a a time of the day where you sort of power down, devices go off. Again, maybe you light a candle, maybe you and your partner take a bath together. You add in some yummy salts and some oils, and that can be a releasing of the day, a releasing of the energies that you've met that day. To me, that's really important. I'm very, I have this kind of domestic ritual side that like loves to make sure, open the windows, let the air take out the old, you know, like be um, intentional. Uh, saying prayers before meals, something my mom brought into my life, uh, very important saying a gratitude or two at the end of the day where you're lying in bed by yourself or with your partner or family, those they're tiny little things, but they create intention in your life um, and take you out of the casual consumeristic capitalistic work driven mentality and into something slightly more intentional and sacred. Um, And so you can add in those little moments as much as you want, you know, and, and especially I think women, uh, if you are inclined, that's you being the priestess in your home. That's you tending to the energy as you're cleaning, you're clearing, maybe you leave a flower at a, at an altar, if you have an altar. So you do these little things to just honor your life, honor the space, honor the energy that you're creating around you. So, you know, there's a million things that you can do 
just tending, it's gardening, it's cleaning, it's clearing, but in the energies, not just in the physical. Really, really helpful. Yeah. And if you're identified as male, you're, you're the priest or the monk of your home yeah. temple. Mm-hmm. And just what you're saying, they're really helpful. They seem so simple, but like you're mentioning that consistency and that intentionality behind them to clean, to clear, to disconnect so you can actually connect to something deeper, greater, and more expansive and showing Mm -hmm. up in that, you know, way that's consistent every day or once a week, whatever you do, that's what becomes ritual. And like Jung also talks about, right, when we do ritual, our unconscious then becomes conscious. Mm, We're taking, you know, parts of the unconscious and saying, okay, let me direct you to consciously what I want. Right. Exactly. I I love your examples. There was quite a few and they're really, really helpful. So thank you for that. And now about your, your new work and that leaving of the old and what, what are your thoughts about that? Yeah. After my first book really talked about sort of healing that split between spirituality and sexuality and really integrating the body, the embodied experience, the emotional experience, um, into life and and really becoming that whole and embodied woman like really like nailing the solo practice in a way (laughs) my next book's really about the relational field and um it's called dare to feel the transformational path of the heart and and the transformational path of the heart is learning and healing and alchemizing through the horizontal the heart to heart the human to human the relational field whether it's with our parents our kids our friends our lovers but seeing uh, the heart opening and the heart alchemizing as a spiritual practice and path that we engage with every day, instead of mm-hmm. just that um, vertical path of sitting on the meditation cushion and connecting with the vertical and connecting with God or consciousness um, and having that be sort of a gateway to the divine, the other gateway to the divine is through that through that horizontal, through the heart to heart. So the book has a lot of stories in it. It's like very... Uh, feminine in that way of like telling stories to learn instead of just sharing teachings from the left brain. It's like embodied, raw, visceral experience and rituals. There's a ritual with every chapter um, and, and kind of contemplations you can write or just contemplate your mind around. So yeah, it's fun because it's just like a lot of crazy stories. <laughs> And not crazy stories too, um, but about the path of the heart and like opening and failing and getting hurt and opening your heart again. And, you know, the path of feeling, the path of emotions and and how they um, are these alchemical sort of portals or invitations into life or not, right? Depending if we shut them down. So um, yeah, I'm excited for this book. It's going to be really fun, I think. <laughs> It sounds scintillating. And when does that come out? It comes out January 16th, 2024. Nice. Beautiful. Yeah. So our audience can mark their mark their yeah. planners, yeah, yeah, put yeah. it in their phones and, and mm-hmm. such. But I love it because it sounds really, you know, again, practical, which I'm all about and like asking questions and doing that kind of work. You know, I mean, reading so fantastic and I'm just a voracious reader. And, um, again, one of the reasons I wanted to have you on too is because I really appreciate how intellectual you are and you really mm-hmm. with, you know, embrace that quality, but then yeah. align it with your spirituality and integrate it. And yet with books, you know, the majority of them aren't participatory and 
active. So I love that your new book has that element, which is so beautiful because it's, again, that real integration of, of all of it. Yeah, exactly. And that's my desire to have the integration of all of it, to be able to have an intellectual conversation and also to have a super embodied energetic conversation. And um, I hope that, you know, we can all develop that both sides of the coin. Yeah. Well, it's so fascinating because you mentioned Ramdas just as we start to wrap up, you know, and who, who doesn't love Ramdas? I mean, we don't need to even comment. I mean, to comment on Ramdas is like trying to add to, you know, Monet's painting, you know, <laughs> Ramdas is Ramdas. If you don't know Ramdas, just look him up and read everything he's written. But Ramdas, the prototype, you know, quintessential Maha great, um, Western yogi, uh, last night I was, starting to wind down, doing my winding down practices. But I had things in the household to do because I'm a mama, so I'm folding laundry to ungodly hours of the day. And so I thought, what do I like, what do I want to do? And it was just like, I want to keep, you know, I was wanting to be aligned with my spirituality and and really feel inspired and connected to my soul. But I was exhausted and I was folding laundry in a dark basement. And so I was like, let me look. And I typed in Ramdas and he has a podcast, you know, a, a collection of his talks, which I remembered a, a long time ago and I've heard years ago, but it's been quite a while and I had forgotten that. So I just was like, you know, did the old like tarot Spotify shop. Like I just like swiped and I was like, well, you know, okay, universe, which one am I supposed to listen to? And I, I clicked on it and I mean, I just haven't been interfacing with his work forever. And I ended up taking it upstairs. I ended up falling asleep to it. It was just like uh. his, his message is so good. And he was talking about the it's really a metaphor for how we can, you know, click on different channels of our life. And he was Mm. talking about, you know, we've got the physical channel and we point to that, Then we've got the, you know, channel of the psyche and we have to work on our psychology. And Mm -hmm. then there's the channel of, you know, where we look ourselves in the mirror and see that reflection. And then the many mirrors that we start to notice, okay, not only is my reflection and I can reflect the divine back to myself, but that there's a multiplicity of mirrors, like the, when you go to, a, you know, like a boardwalk mm-hmm. or something and they have those mirror, magical mirror places and you see all the reflections of yourself. And when we start to practice and go to the channel where we see ourselves and everyone mm-hmm. and then that last channel where it all goes away and it's just the oneness. And yeah. so you're, I love this conversation so much and there are no accidents mm. because I feel like you really touched on all those channels and we're emphasizing the importance right of all those channels it's not just one channel we don't just go to the oh it's all good it's all one i hate that phrase when everyone's like it's all good it makes me nuts (laughs) you know oh it's all good you know of course it it, it's all good on one level but i think it's you know it's a whole nother podcast it's become so hackneyed (laughs) and it's so intrinsically patriarchal and whatever right but I really oh, I love that you're listening to Ramdas. I when I'm folding laundry, I often listen to Ramdas or I'm Do doing you? household stuff. Yeah. It's like a Sunday afternoon kind of like I don't think about putting on that podcast like when I'm driving. It's too it's too lulling for me or something like that. But there's something I also when I'm like doing laundry or like changing the sheets or something like that, I'll put it on and and I'm always so excited in a way by it. Like I'm always inspired by it in some way and and um, they're great recycled talks on there that they pick the really good ones. And yeah. 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 I love that. I love that we yeah. have a connection. It's so <laughs> serendipitous and not accidents. Yeah. Well, Alexandra, would you mind just closing our conversation yes. out with some 
anything yeah. you wish to offer, benediction, a little guided meditation, whatever feels yeah. feels in alignment with you in yeah. this moment. So if you're listening and you're not driving, if you can take a pause and close your eyes. And just putting one of your hands on your heart and inhaling through your nose deeply. And I want you to soften the whole front surface of your body as you continue to deeply inhale, letting your belly hang out, softening all the way down to your pelvic floor. And then exhaling through your mouth with a little sigh. <sighs> and you can do that for two more breaths and really feel the front surface of your body. Start to release any stress, any tension, any holding from your throat, melting down through your heart, into your stomach, and your lower belly. And by the time you exhale again with an HA, you can put your hand down and just feel where your heart is today, where your heart is after finishing, participating, witnessing, listening to this conversation. What can you feel along the front surface of your body? Physically, emotionally, energetically? Is there warmth there? Is there cold? Whatever it is, don't try to judge it. Just let it be. Just notice. In this moment, is there a way with my next breath that I could gently allow that whole front surface of my body to open? And just having that in your awareness for the rest of today is my heart opening or closing to this moment? Could I breathe more into my heart, into my belly, all the way down to my pelvic floor? And could I invite myself to open into the moment just a little bit more? Sending you off with that, my desire and prayer for you is that you're able to live and move through this life with a beautiful discerning heart that opens and closes, that regenerates like a beautiful flower or butterfly. And so it is. Mm. That was really, really, really luscious. <laughs> so sweet. I love that invitation, mm. listeners, all day long. Mm. Feel into the front of your heart. Mm -hmm. Invite it to yeah. be open a little more, perhaps. Mm -hmm. mm, Alexandra, where can folks find out about you and your really important, profound work in this world? Oh, thank you. So my website is just my name, alexandraroxo.com, and my Instagram is the same. And so any of those places you can find me. Go check her out, people. <laughs> <laughs>
Well, thank you so much for being here. And my Modern Mystic members are so blessed by your generous offer. So all my Mystic members are receiving from Alexandra her sensual embodiment practice. And just mm. hearing you lead that gorgeous meditation, I can't wait for the members mm. to experience. I can't imagine how divine that sensual embodiment practice must be so thank you Alexandra, oh, for good. that well People- enjoy and you can always dm me let me know how it goes for you <laughs> so folks listening if you want to become a mystic member i've got a beautiful membership on an elegant platform with yoga meditation mindfulness mystic hacks learning to work with your energy and psychic abilities astrology and more so go to modernmystic.love And if you're interested in getting a free intuition building toolkit, head on over to modernmystic.love forward slash intuition. That's modernmystic.love forward slash intuition. Grab it because it's elegant. It's profound. I've gotten a lot of messages. Folks are loving it. So learn how to deepen your connection with your intuition or if you don't feel like you have one, it's for newbies and old timers and share it with your people share it with the people in your life who would benefit from connecting more to their intuitive powers and check it out and also Mm. receive alexandra's beautiful practice as a gift thank you thank you thank you for just showing up in such a unique and really soft and wise and inspiring and sparky way i love (laughs) your energy and i wish you much success with your your second book as you start to punctuate that awesome thank you so much thank you namaste (laughs) thank you for taking these words in i hope they ground inform and inspire you on your journey of the mystic path if you like what you heard please be sure to rate review and follow the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or whichever podcast platform you use. It is so appreciated. Also, check out my website, modernmystic.love, where you can find information about my very exciting monthly mystic membership. My members have unlimited access to a robust video library, which includes short videos that are easily digestible sharing practical ways to integrate mystical living into your day-to-day life. These compelling videos cover topics such as how to ground, protect, and grow your energy, how to develop your psychic abilities, how to connect to your spirit team, shadow work, inner child work, tarot cards, lots of Western astrology, of course, in addition to syncing up with the rhythms of nature and so much more. I've gotten so much positive feedback that these videos are game changers for folks. Also included in the membership are over 100 alignment-based yoga classes of all different levels, meditation and breathwork classes, so you can work from the inside out or the outside in and up-level yourself as you become the next version of you. Not to mention my mystic members get all sorts of bonus content and discounts from my visionary podcast guests. So check out modernmystic.love and take a peek 
there as there's a free sampling of some videos waiting for you. Lastly, if you are looking for some conscious conversation and compelling community, check out also our private Modern Mystic Podcast Facebook group. Keep on meeting the present moment where the magic lives, one breath at a time. Namaste. Namaste.